0: We're going to finish up our series on living abundantly today. We've been looking at the fruit of the Spirit as listed in Paul in Galatians chapter 5, verses 20 through to 23. And we've been basically going through this passage for about eight weeks now. And if I were a better preacher, we'd be done already. You know, if I was a better preacher, a better preacher would get it done in one week probably, but it took me eight weeks to get it. But but we're, we're gonna begin in, the, in Galatians chapter 5 again, but we're gonna back up a little bit and start reading in verse 16 of Galatians chapter 5, and, uh, and then we'll get into the Word today. Let's pray, let's, uh, read it together. Galatians 5, 16. So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking, and envying each other. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I thank you and praise you for your presence with us today. And you've, you've already touched us and you've already moved powerfully during our worship and prayer time. But now as we, as we look to your word, I just pray that you would anoint this weak vessel. I know that if I speak in my own power and my own ability, that it will be of no avail. But if you will supernaturally empower the, the, your servant today, God, then I know that you can do miracles in our lives on this very day. So speak to us today, God, deep in our inner man. Deal with every person hearing these words deep within. And I pray, God, that when we leave this place, we won't say that was a great sermon. I pray, God, that we won't say that was a great service, but I pray that we would say, today I heard from God and I'll never be the same. And I believe you for this and I trust you for it. In the strong name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Amen. There was a, uh, an interesting and somewhat amusing article in a newspaper in Florida a number of years ago concerning a New Age psychic slash witchcraft community called the Casadega Spiritualist Camp in the city of Casadega, Florida. And the writer of the article said that he was surprised to find that, that underneath the surface of what he perceived to be a very peaceful little New Age community, there were deep divisions, anger, lawsuits, countersuits, accusations, a great deal of bitterness, envy, strife, and bickering back and forth. And, and, and frankly, anyone who has read and understood the Bible would, would read that article and laugh uh, because this, this is an oxymoron, peaceful witchcraft. This is a contradiction in terms, loving witchcraft. Those things are mutually exclusive. They, they may not exist in the same universe, Peaceful, joyful, loving, patient, gentle, faithful, good, meek, self-controlled witchcraft just does not exist. Wherever you have a community whose central foundational reality is witchcraft, you're going to find everything that is contrary to the fruit of the Spirit. And anyone that's surprised that there are lawsuits and accusations and arguments and divisions in the psychic capital of the world needs to have his head examined, or at least he needs to read the Bible. But, but at the same time, you, you hear that and what's going on there. At the same time, if you go to a pastor's gathering, some retreat, some conference somewhere, you would probably be surprised at the level of discouragement that you would find among pastors today. You, you might be taken back at the level of hurt and woundedness among pastors. And what, one pastor at such a conference went to talk with an uh, with one of the main speakers at the conference, and this pastor was 63 years of age. He was only two years short of retirement, and he said that he didn't even think that he could wait for two years. He said, I'm retiring. I'm through. I've had it. The conference speaker looked at him, and he said, what, what in the world has happened? What's gone wrong? And the pastor said, I, I don't even know how to describe it to you. He said, I've, I've been at this church for 17 years, and something has taken hold in my church, bickering, murmuring, arguing. The, the, and the conference speaker said, over what? And the pastor said, anything, everything, the choir, the band, the worship music, the sermons, my any guest speaker I have, the temperature in the room, the lighting in the room, the Sunday school, the teachers, everything that happens. And he said, something is wrong in my church. And the, pastor, the, the speaker said, pastor, I know what it is. He said, you do? From, from just that, he said, you must have a wonderful gift of discernment. And the conference speaker said, no, no, but but, Pastor, I've read the Bible. It's a spirit of witchcraft. Everything that is contrary to the character and nature of God, all that is contrary to the peaceful, patient, loving, self controlled, gentle, generous, gracious, giving, humble, broken spirit of Jesus Christ, everything that vaunts itself against authority and natural authority and spiritual authority, everything that exalts itself, everything, everything that claims its own, everything that divides and rips and breaks and contrives and manipulates and lies and deceives, these things all come from the same source. It doesn't matter if it's uh, in a community that's filled with self-avowed practices of witchcraft or if it's in an Assemblies of God church. The outward trappings do not matter. What matters is the inward reality. What's really going on inside? So let's look at this passage of scripture that we just read and let's look at some key words from Galatians chapter five, verse 16. He said, So I say, walk in the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. So now when Paul uses that word walk there, he's talking about your manner of life. This is a, a long standing uh, understanding the, the in the Jewish understanding, the Jewish uh, uh, way of thinking to to talk about your walk is always referring to your way of life. And so that's Paul's doing the same thing here. He's he's talking about you and the spirit and the spirit in you. And he's talking about the way you live, the way you relate, the, the, the way you talk, the way you, you do everything. Walk. He, he said, walk in the spirit. Dr. Leonard Ravenhill, he's gone to be with the Lord now, but he talked one time about walking down a street in New York City on a cold January afternoon. And, and listen, there are few places in the world that are as cold on a January afternoon as, as New York City, as the wind just whistles down those concrete canyons through those streets. And and Dr. Ravenhill was walking down the street and he and the wind was just cutting through him like a knife. Anybody ever been out in the cold where it's just cutting through you like that? And he was just freezing and he, he looked across the street and he realized that his side of the street was completely deserted and everybody else was walking on the other side of the street. That, that sidewalk over there was just jam packed. He couldn't figure out what was wrong, couldn't figure out what was going on. And why, why was he walking on this side and freezing while everybody else, all the other people on the other side of the street? And so he stopped and he looked and then he realized that because of the angle of the sun through the buildings, the sun was shining on the other side of the street. All those New Yorkers knew to get over there and walk in the warmth of the sun. So he crossed the street and walked in the sun and God spoke to him in that moment. He said, Leonard. Walk in the spirit and you will not be frozen in your innermost being. Walk in the spirit. Make sure you're in the spirit. Walk in the spirit. Then in verse 17, he said, For the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit and the spirit what is contrary to the flesh. Now that word desire implies lust. And when we use the word lust, we almost always think of uh, uh, of sexual lust, we refer to it that way, but it simply means a strong passion or a violently held desire. So you could lust for money, for example, in the same way you can lust in the flesh uh, with sexual lust. But the the uh, the flesh lusts in a way that is contrary to the spirit of God, and everything that the spirit of God yearns for is in opposition to that of the flesh. Those things are contrary to one another, and, and what we need to understand. Is that, is that the Holy Spirit has a passion for your life. He has a passion for your life. Sometimes I think that, that we have the idea of Jesus and the Holy Spirit is kind of passive, but, but we need to realize that Jesus longs for us. He aches for communion with us. He has a passion for our lives, a dream, a vision, a purpose for your life. The Holy Spirit is is spoken of in the first few verses of the book of Genesis as brooding over the face of the waters. That's a a, a restless movement of the Holy Spirit moving over the troubled, dark void of creation. And even so, in the same way the Holy Spirit longs for us, He broods over our lives and, and, and He aches to bring purity and power and love and life and peace and patience and all of the fruit of the Spirit into us. The Holy Spirit is passionate about bringing the very character and nature of Jesus to bear on our lives. He's passionate about that. And the lust of the flesh wants to inhibit that, wants to keep the character and nature of Jesus off of you. But the passion of the Spirit is to bring the nature of Jesus to bear on the dark vacuums of our lives. Those places where we're not like Christ, especially He wants He wants to bring the character and nature of Jesus into your life. And then look at verse 24. Look at it. It says, Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Crucified the flesh. That's an interesting passage. That's not talking about annihilation. That's not talking about rubbing out your selfhood. That's not talking about the destruction of your personality or anything like that. But listen to me. To crucify the flesh is to so identify with the crucifixion of Jesus that His work of resurrection can begin in your life. I want to say that again. To crucify the flesh is to so identify with the crucifixion of Jesus that His work of resurrection can begin in our lives. Listen to this now. I I believe that most Christians ask themselves the wrong question. And by asking the wrong question we are doomed, therefore, to receive the wrong answer. And by receiving the wrong answer, we are doomed to a Christianity that never really satisfies them or gives them happiness or brings joy into their life. How many of you have ever known a miserable Christian? Anybody ever known somebody you just like, man, you just, if this is what following Jesus is, you just think that that, you know, you get saved and you give lemon to people so they pucker them up or something. And something's not right there. but And it's because they're asking the wrong question, getting the wrong answers, which leads them down the wrong pathway. So what is this wrong question? Most Christians are never happy and they don't walk in the joy of the Lord because they ask this question. Have I kept enough of my life and my flesh off of the cross to make me happy? Have I kept enough for me? Have I reserved enough for myself? They they want enough crucified so that they'll go to heaven. I mean, they don't want to go to hell when they die. They want to make sure that enough is crucified so that they'll go to heaven. But between here and heaven, they try to preserve enough for themselves so that they can make themselves happy. They say, well, I'll put my money on the cross. I'll put my job on the cross. I'll put my wife on the cross. I'll put my kids on the cross. Lord knows I'll put my mother-in-law on the cross. I'll do all of that. but, But my leisure time, you better not touch my fishing. That's mine. So like petty children, they clutch one possession or another to their chest and they cry, mine, 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 mine. But by asking the wrong question, they're bound to get the wrong answer. And by getting the wrong answer, they end up living a life of unfulfilling, unsatisfying Christianity. They have just enough religion to make themselves miserable. But what did Jesus say? Jesus said, I have come that they may have life and have it more abundantly. So if that's your experience with Christ, if that's your experience with Christianity, then then you're not experiencing what Jesus uh, uh, what Jesus wants for your life. He wants you to walk in all of these fruit of the spirit which is includes joy. And if that's not in your life then there's something wrong. Maybe you've asked the wrong question, maybe not intentionally, but maybe subconsciously you've tried to reserve things for yourself and, and because you think if, if I surrender this to God and He says, okay, I want you to, to, to give that up, then I won't be able to find any happiness. So, but, but Jesus offers the full abundance of the life of God in every aspect of my life. God wants the, wants the abundance of life in my work life, in my family life, in in my sexuality, in my financial life, in my relationships, in my intellect. God will fill my life with the abundance of his character and nature in every possible arena of my life. Now, here, here I want to say this. I may never be, well, I won't say, I'll say I will never be as intelligent as Albert Einstein. But I also want to say this. I am not as stupid as I was when I was in the bondage of sin. Anybody know what I'm talking about? I found that there was a stupefying effect to sin, didn't you? I mean, it's very hard to be clever or intelligent or alert or creative when you're stoned out of your skull. You know, it's 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 very hard to find diligence and satisfaction in work and, and to be productive and creative when you're drunk or or for that matter, even when you're filled with hatred. Did you know that hatred can limit your life? It shuts you up in a closet that limits your ability to live expansively. There was a woman who came forward during a, the, the altar call of a, of a revival service and she said to the speaker, she said, I have prayed for the baptism of the Holy Spirit in meeting after meeting after meeting after meeting for 35 years. 35 years. And the evangelist said, ma'am, may, maybe you have a wrong expectation about it. Maybe God is filled with your spirit. He's He's tried to do it. Maybe you're waiting for some sign or you're waiting for something different to happen. He said, can we just pray together for God to fill you with the spirit, regardless of any other thing? And he said, let's just not worry about your expectations and what you think is going to happen or anything else. Let's just ask God to fill you with the Holy Spirit. right now." And she said, "You're no, 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 no. You're missing the point. I've done that. She said, I've done that, but the point is that there is something between me and God. I'm asking Him to fill me with the Holy Spirit, and I'm erecting a wall between me and Him. And the evangelist said, you you, you know this to be true? And she said, oh yes, oh yes, I've done it, brick by brick, stone by stone, for 35 years. I've prayed, God, fill me with your Holy Spirit, while I was laying brick and mortar. And he said, ma'am, I have... Never heard anybody say anything like this before. I'm dumbfounded. And he said, what is the wall? She said, hatred. Hatred. She said, my father sexually molested me when I was a little girl. And I hate him. I hate him. I've added brick upon brick and mortar upon uh, mortar for 35 years. She said, every time I come to God, he says, do you want to be filled with the Holy Spirit? You want love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and faithfulness and self-control and meekness? Then forgive your father. Forgive your father. And the evangelist said to her at that moment, he said, ma'am, then forgive. In, In the name of Jesus, forgive. You know what she said to him? She said, I'm afraid he'll get off too easy thinking that somehow her hatred and unforgiveness was going to punish him and that she had the privilege of deciding his punishment and not God. And then she turned and walked away. Friends, just listen to me. The the lust of the flesh for revenge, that that hatred, that bitterness, that resentment, that, that bitterness, that judgmentalism, that criticism that habit, that gossip, that lust, anything, anything you hold back from the cross will steal the the joy of the Lord from, from your life in Christ. Anything you hold back. Even good things can do it. If you hold back your job or your family or your finances or anything that you love from the cross, then you will never find the joy and satisfaction that your heart longs for and that Jesus promised you. I, I know women who, who will never really know the joy and power and the fullness of the Spirit because they're afraid to lift their children to God. They're afraid of where He will take them and what He may call them to do. They're afraid that they can't trust God with their children. And so they, they clutch their children to their breast and try to protect them from God. What a crazy idea is that? Therefore, they never know the joy and the satisfaction of yielding their lives fully to Jesus. I know men, men who are good men. They're they're saved. They've trusted in the blood of Jesus for the forgiveness of their sins, but they're so afraid that God would get in and mess up their comfortable life that they never really find the abundance of joy. They come to church and they sit there with their fists their fists clenched the whole time and say, "I hope he doesn't say anything about golf or uh, or fishing or football or my boat or my television shows or the movies I watch or how I spend my money." I mean, it could be anything. You fill in the blank. But the truth is, they're not, they're not sitting there with their fists clenched afraid that I'm going to mention it. They're sitting there afraid that the Holy Spirit will have a word for them about their lives. There are people who have just enough religion to get them into heaven by the skin of their teeth, and they're not going to be happy there for the first million years. There, there are people who are so afraid that God might have a word for them about tithing. Well... Tithing. You know, tithing, 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 tithing. There, I've said it. All right? In case you didn't hear it, tithing, 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 tithing. Okay? We've said it. I tell you, it's amazing to me that people clutch something as idiotic as green paper with pictures of dead guys on it to their chest. And they say, I'm saved. I'm no good to heaven, but mine, 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 mine. What What a pathetic, childish idiotic counterproductive view of life those who want to walk in the spirit have crucified the lust of the flesh putting all of themselves on the cross jesus said if you want to live you must what die if you if you clutch at your life you lose it if you give your life you gain it. If you lose your life, you find it. And the, the world says, hold on to what you've got because you're not getting any more. Cheat to get more. Lie, do anything, hold tight to what you have. But Jesus says the opposite. He says, open your hands, give, surrender. My husband's not being nice to me. He he doesn't treat me right, so I'll withhold my love, I'll withhold my emotions, I'll withhold relationship. Uh, and, and so what happens in that marriage is they get, you just get more and more miserable. They get more and more unloving, more and more unkind. There's less and less love, less and less joy, less and less peace, no patience, little gentleness, no faith, no goodness, no meekness, no self-control. And then after all of that, we've created that whole mess in our marriage. Then we say, what's the matter with God? This thing isn't working. Why isn't God doing something? And God says, you want more love? Give love. You want more joy? Be more joyful. Do you want more peace? Experience the crucifixion of that which you're so worried about. Give it to me. Die to it. You know, I've read about how they trap monkeys in certain parts of Africa. They, 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 they variations that they used to do, but what they do nowadays is they they put a cage out on a wall or a tree or something like that, and the cage has a hole in the side of it just big enough for a monkey to put his hand in through it as long as his hand is open and flat. But But if he closes it into a fist, then the slot is too narrow for him to get it out. And so what they do is they put a banana or fruit or something in the bottom of that cage, and the the monkey comes along, and he decides he wants to eat the banana, and so he slides his little hand into the cage, and he grabs that b- banana, but he can't pull his hand out with the banana, and he's trapped, and and, and, and so he just s- sits there, and he pulls, and he screams, and he yells, and he chatters as as the hunter just calmly step by step closer and closer walks up behind him and then throws a net over the monkey. He doesn't have to shoot at him. He doesn't have to tranquilize him. He doesn't have to run and chase him. He just walks up, throws a net over him and carries him off all because he won't let go of the banana he wants. All the while, all he has to do is just drop the banana. All he has to do is open his hand And pull it out and he's free and instead he's led away a a, a captive slave for the sake of a stupid banana which the hunter isn't even going to let him keep anyway because the hunter is going to take it from his hand and put it right back in the cage to catch another monkey. And listen that is exactly how Satan works. He drops breadcrumbs until he leads us into the cage. He says, come on, it's this is about pleasure. Try a little illicit sex. Here's another one. Try alcohol. feels Feels good, doesn't it? Here's another one. Try drugs. Feels great, doesn't it? And then we, like stupid, pathetic animals, hungrily gobble one crumb after another, failing to discern that the trail is leading us to destruction, captivity, and bondage. But we would be free. We could be free if we would just say oh god i'm crucified along with all of my my fleshly lusts i give you everything i give you my life i give you my future i open my hand i let go you know you 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 hear on the news all the time about people who are arrested for things like embezzling is a great example and, and I, I don't judge them. I, my heart goes out to them. I feel sorry for them. I don't know what led them to that place where they felt like they had to do that, but, but I wish I could sit across the table from them and say, oh, sir, look, you, you grabbed for the, for the banana and you held on. And now you're going to get nothing but 10 years. Let go. Open your hand. Be crucified along with all of your fleshly lusts so that you may live. Flip over to Romans chapter 6. Romans 6, beginning in verse 1 says, What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into His death? We were therefore buried with Him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father You know, I have found, and I'm just as a side note, I have found dead people to be unbelievably unresponsive to outside stimuli. Have you found that to be true? You ever, ever gone up to a dead body and poked it and said, did you feel that? There's no response. This is what he's saying. He's saying, listen, dead people are not tempted by sin. And he said, that's why. In Christ, we have to look at ourselves and say, all right, I am crucified with Christ. And if I'm dead, I'm not going to respond to the stimulus anymore. Listen, there is a way in which a person can be alive to sin. And it brings a sense of energy or a soul energy, a body energy, a lust energy, a fleshly energy. And there are those who are absolutely consumed by some obsessive sin and they're alive with this fleshly energy and they, they will gradually become more and more alive to that until there is a bondage that is inescapable as a result of it. I, I heard of a pastor who from Florida, he told of a time when he was flying back home to Florida on a plane and there was a family uh, that was about two rows up from where he was sitting and and he he suspected that they were from a foreign country uh, like like Michigan or something. And, uh, and so, and they were on their way to, to Disney World. And there was a father, a mother, and a little boy about 11, and another little boy about the age of five. And, and he said that those little boys were wired, buddy. I mean, wired. Somebody, somebody had given these children amphetamines at birth, and they had not worn off. You know what I'm saying? And so they, they were, and they were on their way to see Mickey they were on their way and these boys climbed the plane and they climbed on their mom and dad and they ate some of their food and right, rubbed it in each other's hair and and they were ready to see mickey in fact in fact by the time they landed in florida everybody was ready for them to see mickey you know um but but the, the mother the whole time just kept trying to deal with the little boys and talk with them and helped them with their games, and the flight attendants kept bringing them things like hand grenades, you know, that sort of thing. And, just, and they were just trying to help the children behave. And, and while the mother was dealing with them, the, the father just sat there and ignored all of it and just kept reading a newspaper. He, he, he acted as if, who, who are these people? And, and what do they want from me? Until, finally, the 11-year-old boy knocked his Coke over onto his father's lap and suddenly that father exploded like mount vesuvius he said sit down brad and shut up and the whole plane sat down and shut up but as the pastor looked at this man this man's face was just contorted with rage his eyes were bulging out he was furious and, he, and the pastor thought to himself this this man is completely out of control he has no patience he has no love in this moment he doesn't care about these boys he's not trying to shape them he's not trying to teach them he's just exploding in anger and he's out of control and god said there he said you thought that the works of the flesh was only people who waste all of their resources on drugs and the and and the and the and, and they live in the bondage of lust. But God said, this is what lust of the flesh does in homes. Selfish living, anger, bitterness. The pastor looked into that little boy's face, and he's by now he was huddled down in his seat crying, a napkin in his hand trying to get the coke off of him and his brother. And it was as he was sitting there huddled in this sphere in this And this horror, it was like a portrait of everything that it means to be alive to sin. Bearing the bondage of sin, bearing the fruit of sin, destruction, hatred, bitterness, death. These are the things that result from being alive to sin. But it doesn't have to be that way. There is another kind of life. Jesus said, those that are are crucified with the lust of the flesh are alive to righteousness. Is there a bondage that results from being alive to righteousness? Yes, there is. The the more free I get from the world, the more in bondage I am to Jesus. And we we don't use that terminology very often, but but the, the more liberated from the lust of the flesh I am, the more profoundly I declare myself the love slave of Jesus. This is the kind of terminology Paul used all the time through the New Testament, he said, I'm a slave of Christ. I mean, who is more of a slave than the man who has no ownership over his own life, will, decisions, thoughts, motives, dreams, aspirations, goals, and desires? Who is more of a slave than him whose life and eternity is set by another who's told where to go and what to say by another. He is a slave. And you say, but I thought Jesus made us free. Yes, he does. Jesus makes us free from the world and the flesh and from the devil. Jesus sets us free from, from the bondage of sin and evil and wickedness and from wrath and selfishness and gossip and sexual impurity and drunkenness. And he sets us even free from death and all of those things. He sets us free from that. But does he set us free from any, any bondage at all? No. He doesn't. That's a wrong understanding of the gospel. Jesus says this. He says, let me, let me break that yoke off of your neck. I'm going to set you free from that yoke. But he says, but I'm going to give you another one. Matthew eleven twenty nine. 29. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble of heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. He says, Take my yoke upon you. My yoke will allow you to walk in tandem with me so that where I go, you go. Jesus draws the, the yoke onto his neck and onto his shoulders, and he says, I can bear this. It will rest light upon your shoulders. You'll hardly even feel it. But he says to us, Listen, if, if I move right, then you move right. If I move left, then you move left. If I stop, then you stop. If I go forward, you go forward. You'll be guided by me. My yoke is easy. My burden is light, but you're not set free from any yoke at all. You're not set free to just do whatever you want. You take off the yoke of the world and you receive the yoke of Jesus. Now, how may we receive this life? First of all, receive the promise Turn to 1 Thessalonians 5.23. We're just about ready to close. I know some of you hear the fried chicken calling. And it's starting to call my name too. I hear it. 1 Thessalonians 5.23 and 24 says, Now may the God of peace Himself sanctify you completely and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. And look at verse 24. This is so awesome. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. Isn't that amazing? What a great promise that is. God says, give me your soul, give me your spirit, give me your body, give me your future, give me your past, give me your eternity, give me your money, give me your habits, give me your sin, give me your strengths, give me your weaknesses, give me all of that. And he says, I will take it and I will breathe on it and sanctify it and give it back to you. He says, I have called you to live a life of holiness and peace and joy and love and patience and gentleness, gentleness and goodness and faithfulness and meekness and self-control. And he says, but I will not abandon you to live Live it out under your own power. He who has called you will also do it. Isn't that a great promise? God calls us to it, but then he says, it's my power within you that will bring it to pass. Another promise we have is the promise of 2 Peter 1 verses 1 through 4. He says, writes this, Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who through the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ have received a faith as precious as ours. Grace and peace be yours in abundance through the knowledge of God and of of Jesus our Lord. Look at verse 3. His divine power, not your strength, not your resolute will, not your courage, but His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of Him who, who called us by His own glory and goodness. Now listen to these words, verse 4. Through these He has given us His very great and precious promises so that through them you may, listen to this, you may participate in the divine nature having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. That That we may participate in the divine nature. Glory to God. Think about this. I mean, wives... Listen to me. I'm going to ask you a question right now, right in front of your husbands. You ready? Let me ask you this. How many of you wives would rather your husband have the nature of Jesus instead of the one he was born with? Raise your hand. Yeah, yeah, kind of a common sense question, right there. Okay, husbands, here's here's a question for you. When you come in late and you forgot to call, and the dinner is now cold or burnt, how many of you would be rather be met at the door by Jesus than by the woman that's in the kitchen? Husbands, raise your hand. Some uh, your husbands are afraid. (laughs) You're like, uh uh-uh, nope, nope, I'm not saying a word. Teenagers, how many of you when you get a when you made a D in algebra? how many of you would like your parents to have the nature of God and not the one they were born with? Let me see your hand. <laughs> so he's over there. He's like, Nope, not raising my hand. I don't get D's. <laughs> parents, how many of you, when your son is out in the car, driving on wet streets, how many of you would like the nature of Jesus controlling the car and not the show off arrogant nature of teenage boys that he was born with? Raise your hands, parents. Look, here's what I'm saying. These are not theoretical ideas that we're talking about here. This is real life. When we talk about being divine, partakers of the divine nature, this is not a theoretical thing that we say, oh, this sounds so wonderful. I'm partaker of the divine nature. This means it changes the way we treat people, the way we act, the way we live. That's what it's all about. This is about living fully, in this world god has promised you god has promised you that you will become a partaker of the divine nature so we receive this life by receiving the promise and walking in that nature walking in the spirit as paul said in galatians 5 so we receive the promise and 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 we also receive this life we've talked some about this already by receiving the cross Receiving the cross. Jesus said, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. I don't know about you, but sometimes I wish he would have just said, pick up his cross once. But he added that word daily, which means this is something every day I have to, I have to, deny myself i have to climb back up on that cross i have to become a living sacrifice every single day you know that's what paul was talking about romans 12 he said he he said that uh, therefore that we we should uh be living sacrifices to god in, in in view of what he's done for us that we should offer our bodies as a living sacrifice well you know here's the problem with the living sacrifice The problem with the living sacrifice is that it keeps crawling off the altar. And that's why every day we take up our cross. Every day we we deny ourselves, we take up our cross daily so that we can receive the glory. Receive the promise, receive the cross, receive the glory. Paul said, I have become its servant by the commission God gave me to present you to you the word of God in its fullness, the mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but is now disclosed to the Lord's people, to whom God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery. Here's the mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. There's the mystery. You see, we, we use the word mystery as a story where we're trying to figure out but in the biblical sense, a mystery is something that had not been revealed in the past, but has now been revealed to us. He says, this is what God has revealed to us, that it's Christ in you, the hope of glory. Paul is saying, this is the secret of the gospel, which was hidden from all of the patriarchs, hidden from all the prophets of old, throughout all the ages, it's been hidden. But now it is made manifest among even the Gentiles. And here's the secret, Christ in you, the hope of of glory. What a promise. What a promise. Listen, we, we, there there are women all over America. They're saying, Oh God, I need a new husband. God, I need a new husband. And and I have a word for you, woman. If that's where you are, if if you could get rid of the one you have and choose another one tomorrow, you would probably make just as stupid a choice this next time as you did last time. But but if you listen, if you will give the one that you have to God until he surrenders himself to the cross and receives the promise of God's redemptive work so that God who calls him to holiness will work in his life, you may receive the same husband you have back with the abundant life of Christ within him so that there would be glory in your house. Oh, wouldn't it be wonderful if your husband opened the door? on his way in from work, and instead of anger and wretchedness and impatience and all the things that are of the flesh, but as he walked into the house, the glorious radiance of Jesus filled the home. Man, wouldn't that be great? That's the promise of God, that why we might become partakers of the divine nature. Well, listen, in my life, I know. I, I know that when I get home and walk in the door and walk in the, and I walk in the house after work, The only light that goes on is the one in the refrigerator. I I know that. I got a long way to go. But there is a very real way in which I have seen the light and the presence and the glory and the witness of Christ sit at our dinner table. Children filled with the Holy Spirit. No wrath, no anger, no division, no bitterness. And in those moments, the glory of Christ settles in um, upon us. It's real. And it's the promise of God for us as as the people of God. This past week, I read about two people who went to see a pastor in, in an Assemblies of God church in Florida. I'm going to close with this. The first man was a businessman. And he sat in that pastor's office, just broken and hurting. He said, Pastor, I have committed a terrible sin, a horrible sin. The pastor said, all right, well... You wanna share it with me, what is it? He said, I, I have conspired with others and I have committed a murder. And the pastor said, oh my, what, what, are, you, what are you talking about? What are the details here? And he said, and the man said, I'm a pr- I was a proud man with a reputation, a respected member of my church, a spiritual man, Everybody looked up to me and he said there was a life that came into my life and it was an embarrassment to me and it threatened my pride and it threatened my position. And he said, I conspired with other people to have that life blotted out. And the pastor said, oh, dear God, what are you talking about? And the man said, my 16-year-old daughter got pregnant out of wedlock. And rather than tell my friends and tell my family and tell my church, rather than deal with it in, in a proper way, I paid to have my first grandchild aborted. And he said, if I live to be 10,000 years old, I'll never be able to look in the mirror without realizing that I'm the kind of man who, for pride's sake, could murder his firstborn grandchild. And he said, what can God ever do with my life? It was pitiful. They prayed together. Claim God's forgiveness, but it was just pitiful. It was a horrible, horrible thing. It was a result of a life in the works of the flesh instead of living the abundant life found in the fruit of the Spirit. But then another man came to see this very same Assembly of God pastor, and this man was a Methodist pastor. He He came in and he sat down in his office for a few minutes and they just sort of exchanged small talk, and they hemmed and hawed around a little bit and chatted a little bit about this and a little bit about that. And then the Lord spoke to the assembly of the God pastor in his heart, and he said and he said to this Methodist pastor, he said, Pastor, I have a question. Why are you here? And the Methodist pastor said, Well, I, I, just, I just wanted to talk with you about some things. And, and finally, that assembly of the God pastor said, No, pastor, are you here to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit? He said, Well, Yes. He was a great big man, just the sweetest man. And They began to pray, and he just broke before the Lord. He, he fell right down on the floor of that pastor's office, and he wept and he laughed so loud that the assembly of God pastor just knew that everybody else in the church offices were going to come running to see what was going on in there. And they, they prayed together, and that big old Methodist preacher got the baptism of the Holy Spirit. About 20 minutes later, when they got up off the carpet, he, he was he was kind of woozy. He was just sort of weaving on his feet. And pastor was the assembly. God pastor was actually kind of afraid for him to drive home. And he said, pastor, would you like one of my staff members to drive you home? And he said, no, I think I can make it. And he started out the pastor's office, just kind of weaving and wobbly. And he he got a little ways down the hallway like that. And then he turned around and came back to the, to the AG pastor. And the pastor said, is there something you want to ask? Is something you need? He said, no, no, no. And He started off again down the hall and then he turned around and came back and the pastor said to to the Methodist pastor, he said, pastor, what is it? And he said, I just realized what it is. He said, I haven't felt it in so long that I couldn't recognize it. He said, I'm happy. I'm happy. He said, you know, I have never been drunk in my life, but I am drunk with happiness. And that pastor watched him bob and weave out across the parking lot and he stood there at the door of his office and watched that Methodist pastor leave and go out to his car. He made it home home safe. I just want to tell you that part. But as he watched that, he heard the voice of the Lord in his heart and he said, I have come that they might have life and have it more abundantly. Jesus came so that you might have life and have it more abundantly? Will you receive it? That's the question. Let's pray all over the house, every head bowed, every eye closed. Father, as we come into your presence at this moment, Lord, I've done everything I know to do. I've tried to be obedient to you today. I pray, Lord, that you would just make your word come alive that it would be, it'd be like uh, a spark on dry kindling that suddenly there's something that starts to burn in our spirits. And I pray that you would talk to us, you would deal with us, you would change us today. And with heads bowed and eyes closed and there's nobody looking around, I want to know if there's anybody here. Start, I want to start with this, just so they would say, Pastor, I, God has shown me today that there's some parts of my life that I've tried to keep to myself. I haven't put them on the cross. I haven't surrendered them. I'm like that monkey. I've wrapped my hand around something and I've refused to let go. And because I've refused to let go, I'm walking in, in a measure of misery. I don't have the joy of the Lord that I know I should have. But today you'd say, Pastor, I want you to pray for me because with the help of the Holy Spirit, I'm ready to surrender. I'm ready to give it to Him whatever it might be. I don't know what it is. Only, you know, the Holy Spirit speaks to you. And if that's you today and you say, pastor, I want you to pray for me. Would you slip your hand up? Yes. 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 Boy, oh, their hands all over the place. And that's normal. I think they're every one of us, the rest of our lives, we we discover places in our, in our hearts that maybe we thought we were okay and we haven't really surrendered it. And but today is the day God has spoken to these specific people, and maybe there are others here who would say, Pastor, I want you to pray for me. I, 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 I'm, I'm hungry for more of God, and I want the fullness of the Spirit. And you, and you say, Would you put me on your prayer list? I, I want to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I want the fullness of the Spirit in my life, and you've never received that, and you'd like that. I, I, and, and we're not. I'm not going to call you up this morning or anything, but I just want to know so I can be praying for you. If that's you, you'd say, Pastor, would you pray for me? Would you just lift your hand? Yes. 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 Anybody else? Several hands. Father, we come into your presence. And right now, those that lifted their hands and they said, there's a part of my life I haven't surrendered. I've been clutching it. I've been holding it. I've been afraid to to let go of it. But God, I know you're a good God. I know, you're, I know you're trustworthy. And so God, today we release it to you. And God, I pray that right now in this, in this place and everybody who raised their hand, you just pray and just say a simple prayer and say, God, I'm opening my hand. I'm releasing this to you. And you, you just name it, whatever it is. And God, as they name it in this, in this moment, on this day, we know, God, that there's going to be a temptation to clutch it back again. But God, I pray that today would be a day of true release. That as we release those things to you, as we surrender them to you, that we'll find the joy of the Lord that is our strength. And you would fill our lives with peace, with all of the fruit of the Spirit as we crucify ourselves. and We lay every part of our life, we nail it all to the cross. And as we die, you begin the work of resurrection in our lives. And all of those things that we've crucified, now you bring to life all that you want in us. And Lord, I pray for those that raised their hand and they, they said, I, I want the fullness of the Spirit. I ask God that even today, God, that is as there, is their time, whether they're at home, whether they're in church, whether they're uh, in their car driving, but God, that as they seek your face, that they would continue to surrender to you, more and more surrender, that they'd seek for more and more of Jesus. God, that we're not after gifts we're not after signs we're not after speaking in tongues even though that that's the sign that, that 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 things happen god we just want jesus we want more of your spirit and i pray god that you would pour your spirit onto them and the god that in jesus name we would hear testimonies of what you're doing and we we believe you for all of these things and we pray all of it in the strong and mighty mighty name of jesus amen